Sports Central with Adrian Abraham on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3, you're on 12 to 1 with me, Adrian Abraham. And joining me on the show today, I've got a very familiar voice on the station. It's none other than Elliot Danker from The Breakfast Huddle. Elliot, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, thanks a lot, man. I am very excited for this because it's been a long time since I got to be a football pundit. <laughs> yeah, it's finally good to talk some sport, particularly football, yeah. with you. And Euro 2020 has been making all sorts of headlines. Earlier this week, we saw France mm. World Cup winners crashing out against Switzerland. They were 3-1 up in that Mm. game, but then went on to lose in the penalty shootout. Kylian Mbappe, you Mm. know, the culprit there. What did you make of their performance? And did you feel that they were a bit complacent? I like that you bring up uh, the term complacent because that's the first thing anyone thinks of, right, when world champions crash out like that. But I think with France, right, it's down to what I like to call playground politics. Let me explain. So, you know, in our younger days, when we play football, we go to the field or the playground. There, you, you choose your team, which team you're going to play for. There's always like two people who play very well with each other. They click very well and they tend to keep the ball to themselves. And then everyone starts to get a bit left out. So these two people for France are the bromance between Kylian Mbappe and Karim Benzema. Then there's this one guy that's not too bad, hoping to play a bigger part, but doesn't really get to Antoine Griezmann. And that's the reason why they failed. They didn't play like a team. Paul Pogba was, is, was the best player of the tournament. A complete shadow of himself at Manchester United. And then you've got, in the stands, right? Kylian Mbappe missing the penalty. In the stands, you've got Edran Rabio's mother complaining, making comments about Kylian Mbappe and the mistake that Paul Pogba made, which led to the equaliser from Switzerland. So she confronts Pogba's family, saying that it was because of Pogba that uh, the draw happened. Then she clashes with Mbappe's family, saying that, you know, maybe you guys need to reframe your son and make him less arrogant. And all these reasons, is there, did you see anyone comforting Mbappe when he missed the penalty? No. Absolutely not, yeah. But Kylian Mbappe, he's so young, he's got so much potential still yeah. ahead of him. But, you know, things did get very heated. As you mentioned, Adrian Rabiot's mother, his agent. At the same time, do you feel that their performances in the group stages eventually caught up to them? Uh, maybe. I mean, it, it was a tweaking of the system, right? When you look back at 2018, when they won the World Cup, and I'm going to draw comparisons between France, Portugal and England eventually. It was a, a very different system where you had an Olivier Giroud up front. The guy didn't score. I think he didn't score. Uh, but he was selfless, providing, you know, and he's six foot four, big guy, you know, really uh, holding the ball up top. I'm not saying it was a bad idea to get Karim Benzema, but you change the dynamic again. So you have a back three with Clement Langlais, which didn't play anything during the games leading up to the group stage. Was it disrupted? Good questions to ask. But, you know, the beautiful thing about France is they have at least two generations of great footballers ahead of them. You know, there's Eduardo Camavinga, there's Ibrahima Kouanate, there's uh, Umpa Makano, Diot Umpa Makano, which they didn't even bring to, to this tournament. So, Dede Deschamps can build for the future. He's got more than enough. Yeah, but you also think it's a bit of favoritism. You mentioned Upa Makano. Mm. What about the likes of Aymeric Laporte? He's now plays for Spain as well. Never played for France, right? Never played for France. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, is there favoritism? Is there a, a preferred system? I mean, you look at the way that Benzema was thrown back into the team. You look at the way that Griezmann seems to be the first to get substituted. He led the line 2016 and 2018. This time around, he's playing a supporting role. That's it's like he's being played out of position at Barcelona. So let's just carry that on to the 
the French national team. Paul Pogba not played to his strengths at Manchester United, but you know what? We'll give him everything he wants in France. Very good question. Rather chaotic. But elsewhere, there's another country making all the headlines, <laughs> maybe for the right reasons. And should we finally believe that it is in fact coming home? Because if you look at England mm. and their run into the final, they have it. They have a very nice oh, yeah. draw heading yeah. Yeah. into the final. Is football coming home? Oh, good question. So uh, I, I told you I would draw comparisons, right? France, the way they played at the last World Cup. We looked two years before that, 2016, Portugal, the way they played. And now the way England is playing pragmatism could win the day. Now, you've got a system that Gareth Southgate has put and it does not favour Harry Kane, one of the deadliest strikers in England, right? Doesn't play to his strengths. You've got maybe six, seven players who will not let the ball get behind them and in front of them is just three players to get the job done. So for the last game, it was Saka, uh, Sterling and Kane. Kane's out of commission because you've got two defenders on him the whole time. So you've got Saka and Sterling. 70th minute comes, okay, maybe I'll change things up. I'll put on Jack Grealish to mix it up. Same tactic, two, three games in a row. So, yes, Gareth Southgate is here to play tournament football. And pragmatism, as long as you don't concede, you've got a good chance. Make no mistake, going up against Ukraine he could well use the same formation, the same tactic, 70th minute, get ready for Jack Grealish. Could be the same thing. And we saw how Portugal won. The difference is Portugal's got Cristiano Ronaldo. Harry Kane is not Cristiano Ronaldo. And Ronaldo can just do anything. That's why he was still able to score so many goals. Yeah, Jack Grealish, game changer, came on against Germany. And of course, uh, everyone else knows what happened. But how impressed have you been by England's defence? Four games Yet to concede a goal. I know they weren't really, uh, you know, challenged much during the group stages. Mm, but mm. against Germany with Harry Maguire, John Stones, Jordan mm. Pickford as well. What do you make of their defensive, uh, you know, capabilities? I mean, do you look at Jordan Pickford's save against uh, Thomas Muller as a good save or a bad miss? Uh, Muller tends to be quite clumsy going into, into the goal, right? But it was a pretty good save if you look at it. Yeah, the defence seems solid, seems firm. I mean, it would be a treat to have someone like Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips shielding you in front. Like I said, you've got six, seven players who are not going to let the ball get past them. The only problem with England now is the age-old problem where, yes, you, you got over the hoodoo, you beat Germany fair and square. But, you know, England tends to find its own banana peel to slip on. <laughs> if you get what I mean. Yeah, I feel that only England can mess this up yeah, themselves. yeah. Because they have it quite easy. And that takes me to my next point. On the other side of the draw, we have Italy against Belgium, which will ideally be a semi-final final. Two yeah. of the best teams of the tournament, the likes of Romelu Lukaku, mm. Kevin De Bruyne leading the line for Belgium. And on the other side, you have more of a, a team, a well-oiled machine yeah. under Roberto Mancini uh, from defensive abilities to their attacking threat. How is this one going to shape up? I mean, how angry are you that these two are playing here in the quarterfinal when it should be a semi or a final game, right? Oh, gosh, the world number ones, Belgians. They have not won any major titles, but they haven't lost this year as well. They've picked up enough points to be world number one. 31 games unbeaten uh, in the previous round where the Azuri is concerned, that's Italy. You've got golden boot potential in Romelo Lukaku. If you score goals, you can win games. With, like what you mentioned with the Italian side, right? They are a bit of an aging team. They lack pace. But to be fair, the Belgian defence also lacks pace. So Federico Chiesa could be someone that could give a lot of trouble to 
that Belgian defence. Having said that, you know, it's almost the same where the Italian defence is concerned and we've got a very strong man in the form of Romelu Lukaku, plays his trade for Inter Milan uh, in Italy and, and, and he's been good. Mancini has reinvented the Italian side. The thing I see now is, you know, Italy came into this as a bit of a dark horse. Belgium was expected to be favourites. They are world number one. But now the expectation you find is suddenly becoming very high. You know, You've got a different set of problems. For Belgium, they don't have Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne. Probably better without Hazard, but De Bruyne, come on. The guy's amazing, isn't he? For Italy, I mean, you've got Giorgio Chiellini training separately because of a thigh injury. Could he return? You've got so many other players that could potentially attack the Belgian defence. Domenico Baradi. What about uh, that midfielder uh, who plays... Uh, Locatelli. For, Locatelli. Um, Barella. You know, people like them. Yeah, they also have Verratti and Jorginho. Verratti could heart. come back as well. Yeah, um, that's that's another potential. Verratti is quite strong. Plays is straight for PSG, right? So Barella's place might be in jeopardy because Verratti is a little bit more experienced. But I don't know, how much will Belgium miss Kevin De Bruyne? Yeah, he's been uh, an influential playmaker, not mm. only for Belgium, but you know his club form for Manchester City speaks for itself. You mentioned hold-up play when you were talking about Olivier Giroud earlier mm. in the conversation. Mm-hmm. How important has Romelu Lukaku's hold-up play been in Belgium making it so far? Uh, it's a mix, isn't it? It's it's you know you, you you've got a guy that is surrounded by players, at least five or six players who have uh, I, I believe a hundred caps or more. You know, lots of experience. Experience in the Belgian team. Uh, this is a team that started young, to be fair. It's that understanding that he has with the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, the, the likes of even Eden Hazard, or in that case uh, earlier this week, Torgan Hazard. Um, yes, it's very important, but he's a different kind of central striker, right? He's 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 the kind that's strong, can turn around, and he's fast, even though he's he's so huge in size. Um, it's almost like a Ronaldo, and this is a different. Romelo Lukaku to the one that we're so used to from England. You know, what happened in Italy, I believe uh, under Antonio Conte has made him a more complete striker. And he'll be an asset to any club. Yeah, and he's played against a lot of these defenders as well in Italy because he plays for Inter and he's come up against the likes of Bonucci and Mm. Chiellini. Uh, You know, finally, I want to switch our attention to the fan-favourite team of the tournament. No one gave them a chance when their star player, Christian Eriksen, suffered a cardiac arrest in the first game against Finland. Um, It was just upsetting to watch. But the way they bounced back, Denmark, they played Belgium, they scored early in that game, went on to lose. They beat Russia. Mm by four goals to one. They then went and beat Wales 4-0. Heading into this game against the Czech Republic, who've also surprised a lot of people, can Denmark, you know, uh, go all the way like they did in 1992? So I was was fascinated when you told me yesterday that you wanted to talk about Denmark and decided to do a bit of checking, right? How similar is this to 1992? Well, for starters, there's a Schmeichel playing. Kasper Schmeichel, the son of Peter Schmeichel, is playing. He wants to emulate his dad. You've got a Denmark team that's playing like a team. Uh, the only teams to beat Denmark have been Belgium. They managed it three times. Finland, of course, in that opening match, uh, what a sad experience. But in this time, you know, between 2018 and now, they have drawn against Germany. They have even got a draw and a win against England. Um, they didn't have an outside chance. In fact, they didn't even qualify in 1992. Same situation here. 19, so now they don't have Christian Eriksen, their star player, right? In 1992, they didn't have their star player, Michael Laudrup, quit the team ahead of the tournament. And they won that tournament without their best player. 
So could this fuel something? I mean, we are seeing it right now. They, they, they surely want to honour their recovering captain. Uh, the Czech Republic, their form a little bit patchier. That's not to say that they're a bad team. They did look like a bit of the Pavel Netviet team of, of old in the last match. But the truth is, Denmark won in 1992, right? Four years later, what happened? Their opponents in the quarterfinals, the Czech Republic, they made it to the final. Yeah, they lost, but they made it to the final. So, you know, everyone's got a bit of history going into this game. And you've got this guy from Bayer Leverkusen, Patrick Schick, who has been quite outstanding. If you ask me among all the quarterfinals, this is the most evenly matched and potentially exciting tie because both teams have nothing to lose. But I don't know. I'm hoping for a fairy tale end where you see Denmark win. Yeah, you'd like to see Denmark just given uh, you know everything that's happened with Ericsson. But also, I think when it gets to um, a potential semi-final against England, would you rather have Denmark or the Czech Republic? Who's probably going to challenge England more? That's a very tough question, to be honest. And I, I don't know how to answer that question because I think both could equally surprise. Uh, and, and it comes down to England again. It's not about who can challenge England more. Can England motivate themselves? Can England look at the situation? And you've got pundits around the world, English pundits, who are afraid to call it. You know, I, I was listening to one where Frank LeBeuf was making fun of the English hosts, saying, you're too scared to say that you've got a good route to the final. And the guy says, yeah, well, no, I'm not saying it. We've done it before. We've slipped up before. It's like a Liverpool thing. And I'm not going to say it. But can these English players, you know, be motivated and feel that, well, it's not going to be easy. Every game is like, like facing a hoodoo in that sense, like facing a jinx in that sense. But does that cause caution among the English? Defend for 70 minutes? Okay, nil-nil now. I can bring on Jack Grealish. I mean, is that how long is that tactic going to last? It is a very interesting, uh, you know, matchup if England do play Denmark. Kasper Schmeichel inspired Leicester City oh, yeah, to yeah. the Premier League title when no one thought they could win it. Can mm. he inspire Denmark to Euro 2020 glory? All will be revealed in the next week or so. We've been in conversation with Elliot Danker from The Breakfast Huddle. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. And I look forward to having you back more frequently. Yeah, let's do it again. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.